Hey leaders, before we get into this episode, I wanted to tell you about a free event that I'm hosting, your personal leadership audit live workshop. I've put the workshop together because if you want to stand out as an exceptional leader, you have to know yourself inside and out. Understanding your strengths and weaknesses is critical. And for that, you need a high degree of self-awareness and a commitment to self-reflection. Now, if you're committed to unlocking your leadership potential, then working through a self-assessment like this is going to help you to quickly identify a path to higher impact. I'll be leading you through a deep dive into the seven imperatives of my No Bullshit Leadership Framework, so that by the end of the session, you'll know exactly what areas you need to develop if you really want to stand out from the crowd. We're only opening up 150 spots, so register now at yourceomentor.com forward slash workshop. That's yourceomentor.com forward slash workshop. Are you selling a little or a lot? Either way, Shopify helps you do your thing. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did-we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. It helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. In fact, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And now you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Most of the business owners who listen to No Bullshit Leadership want to go large. What's so cool about Shopify is that no matter how big you want to grow, it gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash leadership or lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash leadership now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash leadership. Hey leaders, M here. We're finalizing Marty's 2024 speaking calendar and he still has a few opportunities available. Now you've experienced the impact that Marty has on the podcast, but that's only a tiny fraction of the impact that he has when he delivers an in-person keynote presentation. If you'd like to book Marty to speak at your organization's event, go to martingmore.com or send us an email at hello at martingmore.com and we can chat about how to tailor his powerful message to your leaders to achieve real results. All right, now back to the episode. Welcome to the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. In a world where knowledge has become a commodity, this podcast is designed to give you something more, access to the experience of a successful CEO who has already walked the path. So join your host, Martin Moore, who will unlock and bring to life your own leadership experiences and accelerate your journey to leadership excellence. Hey there, and welcome to episode 112 of the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. This week's episode, Is Gut Feel a Thing?, now, we get an enormous number of questions on making better decisions, but we haven't really addressed it directly since way back in episode 20, and that feels like a long time ago. Back in those days, the podcast was just starting to take off. I think we had just over 1,400 downloads the week that episode was released. So we're well overdue to get some of these concepts out to our expanding global audience. Decision-making is also at the forefront of my mind at the moment, 
since we've just completed the final module from our September cohort of Leadership Beyond the Theory, which is, of course, Make Great Decisions. So this week, in Q&A format, Em and I are going to go back through the stack of questions from our podcast listeners on decision-making and pick out a couple that we think are most useful in these uncertain times. Joining me after a long absence in front of the mic is the other half of your CEO mentor, Em, who normally produces the podcast and actually handles the dark art of digital marketing. <laughs> the dark art of digital marketing. I yeah, like that. The best I could come up with. <laughs> So anyhow, Em, look, uh, it's a bowl since we last did a Q&A and we've put out some pretty cool content recently. Now, I'm getting a bunch of feedback on the last few episodes in particular. So we had uh, servant leadership, uh, getting in the arena and the leadership meeting cadence. Now, all of these stimulated a huge amount of comment from, uh, from different people on our channels. Uh, what are you seeing? Yeah, I think last week's episode is one of our most popular that we've had in a while. Um, the one about getting your leadership meeting cadence right. It was hugely popular. I've had everyone from brand new leaders right up to CEOs of some pretty big organizations get in touch and say how useful uh, the episode and the free downloadable was from episode 111. So if you haven't listened to that one yet, I really recommend adding it to your list. People are also loving the Stockdale Paradox episode from a few weeks ago, um, the one about resilience, faith and optimism, which I think is very timely. So it's well worth checking that one out as well. Oh, yeah, God, we're, we're putting so many out. I've forgotten about that one. That's a great episode. <laughs> so, um, so in what questions have you dug out for me this week? All right, I've got two great questions. The first one is from Olivia. Olivia asks, when you talk about making great decisions, you mention the need for speed while balancing that by getting as much high quality data as possible to consider. With all the data you use, is there any place in the decision making process for gut feel? I love this question. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question because um, we use a whole range of data inputs when we're making decisions. Some of them are quantitative and some of them are qualitative. And we've got to be really careful about how much weight we put on each. But I think when we talk about gut feel, it's probably better described as judgment and experience. Research tells us that people make almost every decision based on gut feel and emotion, and then they go looking for data to support that decision. So there's certainly a precedent for this concept of gut feel. But what we've got to realize is we're constantly taking in information. We use all of our five senses and, and a lot more than just our brains. Great leadership requires an integrated approach that combines head, heart, and gut. And so getting these things aligned and understanding all of the information we can read from all of those sources is critical to being a really good decision maker. Uh, for example, we're constantly reading people's tone and body language. We're picking up on uh, nonverbal and visual cues. Uh, we use our experience and judgment to assess the reliability of any information we get from whatever source. And we're continually calibrating different sources of information to find uh, consistency, patterns, and even exceptions. So let's collectively call all of that gut feel. Now, one of the important things is we need to understand the efficacy of any data that's presented. And quite often we'll ascribe a disproportionate level of value to data that is quantitative, e even if it's not that uh, accurate. So we put a high level of weight on the numbers. But what we have to do is look at the assumptions behind the data. Now, a classic example is you see a business case for an investment that might come to you, and it might be uh, described with a net present value that's done to the nearest uh, you know, $1,000. But the assumptions sitting behind it might be so loose that you could have ranges of hundreds of thousands of dollars in the potential outcomes, depending on what assumptions come true. 
So we've just got to understand what's behind it and ascribe that level of accuracy and no more. Marty, we talk a lot about speed over accuracy when it comes to decision making. In fact, we have a whole lesson in leadership beyond the theory about it. This is pretty tricky to apply when you're swamped with data. How can you move forward fast? Well, I think speed is really, really critical because it creates momentum. And so you'll know that, uh, that my view of the world is speed over accuracy every day and twice on Sundays. Uh, and if you're going to work fast and you're going to move quickly through all the inputs you've got to make a decision, then you've got to make sure that all of the elements in a holistic sense are factored in. Uh, confidence in decision making comes basically from exploring as many sources of information as possible and not placing a disproportionate reliance on one or two data points. Uh, a a one-dimensional source of information for a decision is super, super dangerous. But often, we'll accept that if it confirms our worldview. So if we think a certain decision should go a certain way and we find a piece of data that supports that, we're much more likely to take that as being an accurate source of data than we would otherwise. So there's probably two really good examples I want to give, right? The first one is when we were doing a very, very large deal for the sale of a mine. Now, we didn't own it, but we were brokering this deal. And... The counterparty that was purchasing the mine had a financial backer sitting behind them that was critical to the deal and that we had to strike an arrangement with. And on paper, everything looked perfect. It looked fantastic. And they had the financial backing, they had the capacity, they had everything in place that was going to make this deal work. But there were just a few red flags. As we were going through the negotiations, we realised that their senior negotiators lacked a certain amount of authority and that they would go out of the negotiating room and then be overruled by the chief executive who wasn't actually in the room. And this led to things like uh, retrading of terms, so things that were agreed in the room were then, were then reversed or changed mm. outside of the room. Um, the negotiating team was fairly evasive around some of the critical value drivers and they always seemed to be looking for clawbacks so we'd agree something that uh, presented a certain value proposition to each party, and then they'd come back later and say, but we're going to put this caveat, and we're going to take this condition out, and we're going to do these things that sort of changed the shape of what we negotiated. So I had to go to the chairman and actually explain that even though this looked like the perfect deal on paper, my gut told me that these people weren't the best counterparts we could have worked with. And so in that case, um, I got the backing of the board, and we actually didn't go ahead with that deal. So that's, that's an interesting way of applying gut feel when everything looks good on paper, but you can just sense that if you had to live with that long term, it would be a problem. Marty, is that something that you develop over time? Yeah, totally. It's, it's, as I said, it's judgment and experience. And, um, you know, we all know that expression that um, good judgment comes from experience and experience comes from bad judgment. So you learn over time by making mistakes and, and going through different situations and working out what they mean, putting them into context and reading those patterns, uh, what you can expect and you get to pick them much faster and much easier as time goes on. Yeah, true. A- another quick example I want to give is that the older I get, the more I rely on my gut feel to make decisions. And I'll tell you why. When I used to make decisions as a younger person, I would rely on the hard data and place a hell of a lot of weight on it. And if I had a gut feel that said, mm, I'm not sure about this, maybe something's missing, maybe something's not right, then I would ignore that. I'd push to the side and say, but the data tells me I'm okay. And that was how I used to operate. And over time, I learned that every time I did that, every time I had a gut feel that I ignored, it would end in tears. Something would happen that would demonstrate to me that it wasn't necessarily the best decision I could have taken. And so I learned over time to become much, much more uh, intuitive in terms of listening to what my gut was telling me and listening to those senses because that's my body 
reacting to the things I'm reading in the environment that I can't necessarily quantify or put my finger on, but I'm still reading and finding very important. So uh, a great example is hiring people. Uh, as I got uh, further down my career, I found that this is a very imprecise science. I put as much uh, diligence as I could around that process, including you know, psych aptitude, emotional intelligence testing, a whole suite of testing for senior roles, interviews, reference checks, all of that stuff done really, really diligently. But regardless of what that told me, if my gut said to me there was something wrong, I would not hire that person if my gut wasn't aligned with all the data I could see. Now, you might say that I'm using the Ouija board a little bit there, but that's, <laughs> that's really how I found what worked for me and it served me well. Yeah, I think uh, that whole segment that we've just gone through is going to be incredibly helpful for people, not just Olivia. And that's why I picked this question. Uh, gut feel is something that we probably don't focus on, I think, very much in leadership. So I'm really glad that we got to cover this. Mm. Next question is from Tim. Tim said, after listening to episode 98 on effective delegation, I've been trying hard to let go of control over the decisions my people are making. In doing so, I find that I have to sometimes reverse a poor decision that's been made by one of my people. Is this normal? Oh, Tim, I want you to know it's completely normal, but it's not good. (laughs) (laughs) So, So you want to avoid ever having to reverse a decision because that has some implications to it, right? The first thing is... The individual who's made the decision, it really dilutes their accountability. So you can't hold them accountable for a decision that you've then overridden. Um, it really demotivates an individual uh, that you've let them go away and make a decision and then you've told them that decision isn't good enough, I want to do something different. Uh, really, it's just another form of micromanaging. Um, and if you do override a decision, you've got to totally change tax. So there'll be some communication involved, you'll have to explain. Uh, It's really hard to do this and not to embarrass the poor person who made that bad decision. So you've really got to think about the implications of reversing it. And ultimately, the amount of governance you put over the top of any decision-making process is a function of two things, risk and materiality. So it doesn't matter if uh, a very minor decision isn't right, you know, you'll get through it. It'll give you people some experience. They'll learn there are better decisions to make. There are better ways they could have gone about it. But ultimately, no harm, no foul. We're all happy. You can't afford a bad decision that creates a much more material impact. So, for example, uh, a decision that affects a lot of customers uh, or it uh, doesn't meet regulatory requirements that that affect your license to operate um, or a bad decision on a really high-value financial investment. You can't afford to make those. Marty, speaking about micromanagement, I just want to bring up our old friend, Challenge Coach Confront. How can leaders best coach their people through decisions without micromanaging? Because I feel like it's a really fine line. Yeah, and it is. Um, And this is a real subtlety in the coaching process. So uh, ideally, you want people to make decisions for themselves when they're accountable. And when they come and ask your advice, it's, it's very, very difficult to resist the temptation to take a little bit of control and say, if I were you, I'd do this. Or, look, here are your options, but, you know, I'm thinking this looks like a good option, right? You're basically telling them what to do, and that dilutes their accountability just a little bit. Now, everyone's different in this regard. Every person you, you lead is going to be different from the next person. Some people will need a little bit of support and guidance during the decisions they're making, and some will need a hell of a lot but they're all different. Um, We did do an episode on this, which I thought was really useful. Uh, It was episode 63, Reading the Play. 
And this is all about situational leadership theory. Now this theory basically says the amount of support you have to give to people in doing their roles depends entirely upon the maturity and capability of that individual. And everyone's different. Some require a lot, some require a little bit, and your style should adapt to that. But you want to be coaching people so they can make good decisions themselves. The subtlety, as I said, is working out how to do this without overly imposing your will on them. And they have to be able to fail safely. They have to be able to make decisions along the way so that they can learn as time goes on. So are you saying that we should never intervene if we see a leader making a poor decision? No, look, never say never. It's not to say that you should never intervene. And sometimes you'll be able to see a car crash developing in slow motion that you will want to stop. Uh, after the collision, it's too late to prevent the collision. And that's what we call a post-mortem. Mm. So you want to get in there in advance and make sure the decision doesn't go to a place where you can't live with it. Now, the classic example that I like to use is little Johnny crossing the road. They're, they're always called little Johnny. I don't know why. But you've got to, <laughs> you're crossing a busy road, four-lane highway with a two-year-old. And you're standing there holding little Johnny's hand, waiting to cross. Now, if little Johnny breaks free from your grip and tries to run out, you don't handle that by giving Johnny some coaching and mentoring at that point. That's, that's not the time to enter into a Socratic line of questioning to help him discover the pros and cons of running out into moving traffic, right? That's not the time to do that. That's the time to grab Johnny by anything you can reach, the shirt, the arm, the hair, rip him back in and yell at him to shock him because that's what he needs at that point in time. He needs to know that what he did is unacceptable in any way, shape or form and that you've had to intervene because you couldn't live with the consequences. They would have been too dire to see little Johnny get hit by a car. So that's sort of a, a little metaphor to talk about why it's important that sometimes, if it's a really material decision, you will have to put your hand on the levers a little bit more firmly than you'd ideally like to. But I guess back to Tim's question, you know, what if you do have to intervene? Well, communication is really everything, but you've got to expect it to be ugly if you're reversing a decision. Uh, in order to reverse it, to, to, to think it's a decision you should reverse, it has to be a material impact, it has to be one of those car crashes, and the way you override it has to be rational. But you've got to work out how to help the decision maker save face. And that's not always easy. Um, another thing a good leader would do is to take her share of the blame for not paying close enough attention to the decision in the first place and not appropriately supporting the decision maker. So if I ever found myself in a situation where I had to overrule someone's decision and reverse it and do something different, I would say, hey, look, guys, this is on me. I should have been closer to this. And the fact that I'm having to change tack now means that I took my eye off the ball because this decision was so critical that I should have had a handle on it. So, hey, my bad. Right? And that will ameliorate the embarrassment for the decision maker that you're overriding. And it'll also give you a genuine um, ability to be transparent with your people and say, hey, I've, I've made this mistake as well. It's not just the accountable decision maker. It's me too. Awesome, Marty. That was really insightful. I hope that helped, Tim. I think that's it, Marty. Why don't you wrap up the episode? Fantastic. Thanks, Em. All right, so that brings us to the end of episode 112. Thank you so much for joining us. And remember, at Your CEO Mentor, our purpose is to improve the quality of leaders globally. So please share this episode with your network as that's how we reach even more leaders. And guys, you know I'm going to say it. If you haven't subscribed or rated the podcast, please take a minute to do that now. It would mean so much to us. Thanks for having me on again, Marty. Great chat. I will talk to you soon, no doubt. 
Yeah, thanks, Em. Uh, I'll look forward to next week's episode, Making a Role Your Own. Until then, I know you'll take every opportunity you can to be a no-bullshit leader. Hey guys, I want to share something really exciting that Marnie and I have been working on and it involves you. It's pretty incredible to think that we've had over 800,000 downloads in the past two years. That's a lot of leaders from around the world who are listening to our content and getting value out of it. You know that our purpose is to improve the quality of leaders globally. And so we're going to do something that hopefully helps us to reach even more leaders over the next three months. Our goal is to hit 1 million downloads by the 31st of December 2020. And if we do, we're going to run a free virtual event for you in February. Yep, completely free, half a day's worth of live Marty, and we might even get a few guests on board too. We'll see how we go. So what can you do? If you want to help us to reach this milestone and you want to attend our very first Your CEO Mentor Run virtual event, share the podcast far and wide. You can also subscribe, follow, rate and review the podcast. That helps us to sit higher in the charts so that more people can find us. At the end of the day, the more people who are listening to No Bullshit Leadership consistently and are actually implementing Marty's strategies, the better the world of work will be. It's that simple. I'll be updating the number of listens each day so that you can keep track at yourceomentor.com forward slash stats. You'll be able to see in real time how we're going and hopefully this inspires you to share this super valuable, completely free resource with your community. So a quick recap. If we hit 1 million downloads by the 31st of December 2020, we'll run a free virtual event in February. Thanks for helping us to improve the quality of leaders globally and for being part of our seriously awesome leadership community.